Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce Curdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Excellent. And how are you? I'm well, thank you. That was a rip-roaring hockey game we were treated to tonight. Yeah, the Oilers seem to want to send a message in this game, Bruce, Mm -hmm. and take care of a little business. And they did both in a well-deserved, much-deserved two-to-nothing win over the Kings of Los Angeles. Bruce, because it was such a fantastic Oilers victory, we will go with we can expand on our regular two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast and go two good things each. All right. Okay. What is your it's pretty regular, but especially with all these games orders have been winning lately. Yeah, what is your we only thing? do that after wins? We do it after big wins. Big You're a little ball on the screen again there, Bruce. Okay. There you Fine. go. There you go. Change my posture. <laughs> Stretch out to that full six foot four. Mm-hmm. There you go. B- big as Nick Bugstad right now. All right. Mm-hmm. Bruce, what is your first good thing? Oh, boy. Well, it's got to be Stu Skinner tonight. Just a fantastic display of net mining from the young goaltender right from uh, from the get-go, really. Uh, and this was, a for all that this game ended 2 nothing. Uh It sounds like a, a tight-checking game, which it really was in the first period. Uh, but even then, in the second half of the period, it uh, started to open up. And then from there, it was uh, uh, the two teams really went at it. Uh, shots on net 43-37 for the Kings, including 19 shots in the third period as they were throwing kitchen sinks at uh, Skinner at regular intervals and uh, a bunch of other things, too. Uh, and it was... Uh, uh, I mean, I can't begin to enumerate the individual saves he made. Uh, one that stands out to me was the breakaway he made stopped off of uh, Adrian Kempe. Oh, yeah, that was the big where, one. Where Kempe went to the backhand deke and got it up and over the pad, but right into the glove, the waiting glove of uh, Skinner, <clears throat> who was perfectly positioned and not fooled at all by the deke, went with it, had it covered, made the stop. And he just seemed to be well positioned all night in, in the net. And uh, I thought down the stretch he got he got lucky a couple of times. There was a couple of pucks that could have bounced different. There was one that a rebound that bounced over Dano's stick that could have easily been converted. There was in the in the last minute of the post there was a puck that went under him, but uh, uh, he sort of almost landed on it. The one I mean he, he made a great save off of I think it was. Um, uh, the big guy, uh, um, Quinton Byfield, had a tip right in front, and uh, Skinner got his pad on it, and the thing popped right up in the air, and it sort of landed in the midsection of uh, Anzi Kopitar, and, you know, he couldn't shoot it or really do anything with it, but it was right on the edge of the crease, and it came back down, and he tried to jam it in, Skinner somehow on the goal line was able to keep that one out, and I think the Kings just kept ramping it up, and uh, he uh, uh, just had the solution for everything. And there, there was uh, what do we have? Uh, grade A shots, David, in this game. We had the grade A shots at 
for the Oilers, uh, 13. Uh-huh. And for the LA Kings, 17. 17. Yeah. And they each had a, a subset of um, five alarm shots was eight each. Right. So it was um, pretty close in terms of uh, grade A shots in that game. Corpus Allo also. He was um, outstanding. Yeah, yeah. Very, he's, very good. Yeah, he's, he's still, an he intense actually, guy. Yeah, he actually won today's battle of the irresistible force against the immovable object because he came into this game with uh, six straight games in L.A. of two goals or fewer. And the Oilers came into this game with 14 straight games in March with three goals or more. And they wound up getting the uh, uh, just the two. Uh, but it was more than enough to win. In fact, by the identical scores, they won game seven of the uh, uh, thrilling playoff series the same two teams had last year. And they had expected goals in uh, uh, natural statric had Edmonton at 3.7 and... Uh, uh, LA at three point, just over three point zero, and by our metric, it would be uh, LA with their nose in front because uh, they had a few more, uh, <clears throat> few more uh, great A's. Yeah, but we're counting was, the one timers more than they yeah. are. I don't even know if they there count one timers because there's one timers are often outside the home plate scoring mm-hmm. chance yeah. zone, and if you're not it's counting those, moving you, and the, yeah, that's how you score goals in the NHL. Yeah. Corpus Allo, Bruce, is the spitting image of uh, this actor from the TV show Vikings. He, he played uh, Jarl Borg. And he, he just, Corpus Allo looks just like Jarl Borg, who ends up dying one of the most incredible and horrendous deaths ever on, depicted on TV of the Blood Eagle, but I won't get into that. Okay. Uh, it, with any further information, you can watch it if you want, season two of Vikings. Okay. It's the most uh, shocking episode of TV I've ever seen in my life. Okay, I just have um, to look for Eunice Corpusalo and wait for him to meet his demise. Indeed. Okay. Um, boy, that Philip Deneau. The Oilers would have had more Grade A shots, Bruce, but, but mm-hmm. for that Philip Deneau on the ice, that guy is the smartest defensive hockey player in the NHL. I think for a forward like he is very, an incredible very good. Him, Man, is. is in that class but it does yes, but way at the a, a plus level yeah, those defensive guys. awareness and execution he's a fantastic defensive player to know and a decent offensive player you know he's a, yeah. he's a he reminds me of in a sense of uh, Guy Carboneau you know the guy who's like 70 75% of his value is defensive but he can really hurt you when he gets half a chance and he's uh uh, yeah, he's uh, mind you, orders hung a minus two on him tonight, David. There and his go. line mates, uh, Victor Arvidsson and Trevor Moore, the line that's given Edmonton headaches over Moore, recent uh, years. Moore seems down a court, he doesn't seem quite like I know he's missed some games, he's only played uh 51 games this year, so he's been injured, obviously. Right, and he doesn't like he has been such a threatening and dangerous player, he didn't seem to be quite on his game um the way we've seen him in the past which for which i'm thankful because he is such a good hockey player as well as is as is arvidson all three of those guys i don't like some of the king's players Mm -hmm. and we'll get to that in a second but those three guys i have a lot of respect for they they really play hard and they are they're smart Mm -hmm. skilled hockey players like um 
Are they all from, uh, well, uh, is it Dano from Canada and more? Yeah, well, no more is American. Dano could be on a Team Canada and um, would not be a bad pick at all for a Team Canada as your fourth No, no. If you're looking for a penalty killer and, and a, <clears throat> a defensive conscience type of guy, absolutely, you'd, you'd, you'd think about him. 29 years old and, uh, you know, right in the heart of his, heart of his career. Skinner anyway, did. Oh, sorry, Bruce. Moore, Moore had a hat trick the last time the Kings were in Edmonton. He had all three goals and a wow. 3-1 win. And that was a oh, hard-fought yeah. win where uh, L.A. got their noses in front. And tonight, uh, fortunately, uh, that didn't happen, in part due to Skinner, who made some good saves right from early early days and just got hotter and stronger as the game went on. The most impressive thing about Skinner, Bruce, is tonight he survived the Jack Jinx. Oh. <laughs> with 10... Ten minutes left in the game. Jack Michaels did it again. He said, Edmonton's ten minutes away from winning it. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> okay. My wife, my wife was not happy when he said that. She's, <laughs> she's a little more superstitious than I am. And I, I wasn't happy either because I'm just superstitious enough to say, leave it alone. Don't start talking about fate accomplices. This game's in the bag. Right? Yeah. Well, it's it's yeah. almost like this is Jack- the Oilers, Jack. <laughs> it's almost like the Jacks Jinx has become a good luck charm. He said it. He made a comment the last game too. I can't remember what it was, and it's it's like they've won both. So um, okay. maybe the Jacks Jinx is the Jack Jinx is uh, something that we need now. We need him to do that um, for the Oilers to win a game. All right. Uh, you have a good thing or two, David. I do, uh, Bruce. My good thing is. And I think this comes out of the Oilers, two things, this Oilers coaching strategy heading into the game and the Oilers' absolute determination of players like McDavid and Dreisaitl that um, they were going to send a message to the LA Kings. And that message is uh, essentially shove it up your butt. Um, we're not, we're not going to take it anymore. We, we're not, we're not going to wait, wait for one of our teammates to come to our defense when we get hit by you, we're going to hit you. And the owners, uh, I would say, first of all, the strategy was something that I would call dump and thump, mm-hmm. where the Kings are trying to kill off the game with their negative hockey, um, Italian soccer, 1980s style game of clogging up the neutral zone, parking the bus in the neutral zone, <laughs> don't let anything happen, and play the ear stinker hockey and try to make the other team make mistakes. Well, the Oilers smartened up and they thought, okay, we're going to dump the puck in and we're going to get in there and thump your defenseman. And did they ever carry that off, Bruce? They, and this is the perfect strategy. You're, the Oilers are fast enough to do this. They can get that puck in there and they've got fast, big, physical forwards who can get in there and start to lay a licking on those Kings defensemen. That's how you'll beat the LA Kings in the playoffs. That's the blueprint for beating that team. And you could wear the Kings down rather quickly, I think. We'll see if, if you can pull that off in the playoffs. But the Oilers are capable of it. Because this isn't the Oilers of the decade of darkness, where they remember all those years where they just had little guys at forward. Or the the even the Oilers that, you know, uh, of the last few years, this is a big physical Oilers hockey team that has added players like Evander Kane, who had seven hits in the first period, Nick Bugstad, <laughs> Clean Cost, and... and 
then you get McDavid and Drysaddle making up their minds that they are going to lay some punishment on the on the opposition team. And it started off with a play that I think had most Oilers fans, maybe not to our credit, but probably had most Oilers fans standing up in their living room and giving a standing ovation to Connor McDavid when he rammed uh, Mikey Anderson into the boards from behind, uh, in probably in retribution to the absolutely dirty play that Mikey Anderson made after the whistle in the playoffs last year, which injured Leon Dreisaitl. And I don't like to see, no, listen, no, no one was hoping that he got hurt on the play necessarily, although maybe some people were even hurt for that one. But he 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 had he made a really dirty play, and tonight he paid the price for that. And there was some just there was rough justice in that. If the NHL refs and the NHL is going to call the league this way, if it's going to be law of the jungle, then you need to play. If you're going to win in the NHL, then you must play that way. And it's why Mark Messier is revered to this day in that era of the NHL jungle. Mark Messier was king of the jungle, throwing that kind of hit constantly. And Messier or McDavid pulled a full Messier on that, just ramming Mikey Anderson. He never came back in the game. But it wasn't just McDavid. It was uh, Drysaddle hit hit Doughty. He slashed uh, Roy. He slashed Iofalo. Kane hit Dursey. Costin hit uh, Roy. Drysaddle hit Gavrikov. Um, Hyman slashed Doughty in the second period. Fogel hit Kopitar. And Ekholm hit Arvidsson. There was a number of just big hits throughout this game. With mm-hmm. the dump and what is it? Dump and thump. The dump and thump. thump. That's going to be the name of the podcast tonight, Bruce. The Oilers dump and thump mm-hmm. the LA Kings. They, and that's that's how you beat this team. And it was great to see because you need it's it's going to be a tough series, and you need the winning strategy. And I think the Oilers have happened on it because this isn't a fast LA Kings team. And I don't even actually think it's a particularly tough LA Kings team. It's a disciplined LA Kings team. But um, this might work. Well, they had to go the rest of the game with five defensemen. It was the very first shift for um, uh, for Mikey Anderson and his last shift. He only played 32 seconds on the night. And just the way he went down, you could tell it was something. And, and uh, uh, I can't say I, I totally condone that hit, but I certainly understand why that guy would have been the target in the eyes of the Oilers. And, uh, and it was a hit from behind. I think the refs got it right with a two-minute penalty for boarding. And I wouldn't shock me if McDavid gets a fine uh, for that hit. But uh, um, he uh, 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 exacted, as you called it, rough rough justice. And the two minutes that he did get is two more minutes than Anderson got in the playoffs last year when he flat-out injured Drysaddle with a real cheap uh, uh, foul after the whistle. Uh, so... Anyway, I know you've been talking about Mikey Anderson all year. You've been waiting for this night. <laughs> I have words. I love the hit that Leon threw on Dowdy. Yeah. And, you know, just sort of, hope. Oh, why not take the extra step and finish the check? Wham. And when he does finish the check, I mean, he's he's such a load. Uh, and, you know, he carries, you know, he carries, you know, that's a lot of foot pounds hitting the guy. I guess you're saying Newtons. PSI. Newtons. Hitting the guy yeah. uh, when you got a big guy like Drysaddle who can skate, or I mean McDavid who can really skate. I mean, 
we've seen. I mean, last year McDavid got kicked out of a game against the Kings right here in Edmonton when he hit. Uh, who was it? He hit, and the guy's head hit the stanchion on the oh, glass, yeah. uh, just right between the two panes of glass, and he he got cut. So he got a five and a game, and there was a lot of hue and cry about that. But that that hit was worse than tonight's hit. But tonight's hit had, did have an unfortunate outcome and sense of injury. But most of these hits were just hard, rugged hockey, and there was a lot of that played tonight, and a lot of it played by the Oilers. And uh, they've got a lot of hard, rugged guys who can play hockey now. I mean, I was writing last night about the team, and I talked about the size they got on the team and the maturity they got on the team. You know, all the guys on their team, they you know, they don't have uh, a bunch of lightweight kids. You know, they're they're all 23 to 32 years old, practically the whole team. And a goodly number of them are, 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 you know, big or at least big enough. And really only a couple small guys on in the entire lineup in Ryan and Yamamoto. And uh, this is a team, you know, and, and Ken Holland went about adding size this year. I mean, all of uh, all of Costin, DeHarnay, uh, Ekholm, and Bukestad came during the season. Those are all huge men. And the orders are just a way bigger team than they used to be, and they're just as faster, faster. Like they've got, they got speed and skill and size, all going for them, and a little bit of nasty, and that's uh, that's a real nice um, recipe. They're a bigger team than the Kings this year, mm-hmm. and um, they are now. They are they maybe now. Maybe weren't in November when they first played them, but yeah. And a bigger team than Vegas too. And Vegas has got a fairly big team. They got the Hague, who's huge. But uh, anyway, Bruce, what is your second good thing? Yeah, uh, I guess I will go with the. Uh, oh, you, you, let's do it in order. You do your your second good thing. Okay. Then I'll uh, it's the uh, first goal of the game, and uh, it was a tremendous play by all three attacking players. And nice to see, I think, I think um, since the, one of the things that's happened since the Ekholm trade, and this is just coincidence because I think it, it, it um, is concurrent with Yamamoto getting his health back, starting to get his health back. And he's been playing excellent, good to excellent two-way hockey. He's, he has his off games and certainly off plays, but just regularly, he's starting to get his two-way game going. And he's playing. He's playing really well uh, since the um, since the Ekholm trade. And uh, tonight he picks the puck up in his own zone, and he just flies up the ice. He really picked up speed right up the middle of the ice, which pushed um, LA back into their zone. Didn't let them uh, get able to get set and get back in their defensive posture, which they had been doing up until then quite effectively that entire first period. But here we are under a minute left, and Yamamoto charges up the ice, puts the puck over to Drysaddle, who does what Leon Drysaddle does, which is to execute a, a pass that nobody else in the NHL can probably make, you know, spinning on the spot without mm-hmm. seemingly without looking, and f- on the backhand, backhand no look, Magic Johnson pass to Evander Kane in the slot. So we've had now two absolutely fantastic offensive plays. Yamamoto's rush, Drysaddle's pass, and it's finished off by a third spectacular play. Evander Kane takes that puck and one times it right in the net from the slot. 
And um, it, it, it's that kind of brilliance on the attack and the fact that Leon Dreisaitl is, is playing such a monster level of hockey, leading his own line that has me again, super bullish on the Edmonton Oilers' possibility of winning the Stanley Cup this year. Um, fantastic play. Yeah, and that was one of these stop this kind of shot, right? The pass was unexpected. Pass was a bullet right into the slot. Kane lashed it. Uh, there was a defenseman right in front of him screening Corpus Allo, and the puck ticked off the defenseman. So Corpus Allo is dealing with a one-time hard <laughs> shot from the slot that's both screened and deflected on the way into him, and it just rizzes into the net. Like, he had absolutely no time to adjust to it. And uh, that's what it took to beat that guy tonight. And, I mean, the shot was a, was a bullet, but the whole play was dazzling. And, uh, and you're right on Yamamoto. I was looking at him earlier today and thinking maybe it's time for uh, uh, folks to, you know, I mean, trouble with a bad season is that it takes a long time. You know, it takes a long time to, if you're, if you're batting 200 in June, it takes a long time to get that average up to 275. And you can be hitting yeah. 320 for two months before you get it there. Anyway, uh, in, in March... Kyle Yamamoto, 15 games, 5 goals, 6 assists, 11 points, plus 7. Yeah. That's pretty good for a guy that doesn't play on the power play, right? That's 10 even strength points and one shorthanded point. And, and his his uh, even strength plus minus, his individual plus minus on mm-hmm. grade A shots, Bruce, has been the best. He's been the best winger on the team yeah. in that time, other than Nugent Hopkins. He's mm-hmm. been the best, I should say. So second best. That's what we call well, Nuge, is, Nuge, Nuge is a center in disguise, you know. But yeah, Yam, kinda... Yam's the, the natural winger of that of that duo. But anyway, he, you know, full time winger. Let's put it that way. And uh, uh, anyway, he's uh, uh, with with Nuge. You would have a an amalgam of stats, some of which he would accumulate at center, and some at, on the wing. So it's, it's he's but, mainly been at wing the last little while. Yeah, Yam's yeah. full time on the wing. Yeah. And he's uh, uh, he's picking it up, and it's time that I think people started to rate him on how he's doing now, as opposed to how his season as a whole has been, which is when they have now Kyler on the season is uh, 52 games, 10 goals, 14 assists, 24 points, and plus 11. So he's crawling back up to that one point every two games that he achieved last year. And most of that work, I mean, uh, put, put another way, he had 13 points all season coming into March, and now he's got 24. So what I like about the work that we do, one of the things I like about the work we do at the grade-A shots is kind of this high-resolution stat where there's a big enough sample size. Mm-hmm. Over, we, we can start to notice these trends, like with Yamamoto, and, and, it, and I think it allows us to pick up on these things if a player starts to get some two-way mojo to his game going where it, where it hasn't been the case, or a defensive slump, which can often go unnoticed. But, you know, it just it's one of the triggers that I have come to see that we can get one of these signal, signals um, from, from the work we do. Bruce, what's your second good thing? Yeah, uh, well, I'm going to go with the second goal <clears throat> since you took the first one. And two goals in a two-nothing game and a shutout. So, you know, and a good physical team effort. And that kind of covers our good things tonight. And that um, goal was a, a 
brilliant individual effort by uh, by Connor McDavid, uh, with a tiny bit of help from uh, Matthias Janmark, wasn't it? That was along the boards there. Yeah, you might. Have, yeah. And I th- I think he kind of semi won a battle, like he got a piece of the puck and uh, uh, it went over to. They probably scored the goal unassisted. They did. But but he was kind of harassing the guy, and he lost his stick. Edmonton was in trouble if that pass gets through. But uh, McDavid picked it off, and he made one quick move inside his own blue line to spring by the point man, and then he was gone. I mean, you're never going to catch McDavid on a play like that. And he was able to come in, slow down, uh, you know, pick his pick his spot, make his. It was sort of the Sackick move, you know, shift the puck slightly to to the side and shoot it right inside the stick side post. Uh, also, the UC uh, 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 Jokinen move, they scored a stack of shootout goals. And when the shootouts first started, UC Jokinen kept doing that one, where he does the quick shift and shot right inside the post and buried it for his 61st of the season. Wow. And, uh, yeah, wow, it was right. And it was uh, uh, the same guy that made it two nothing in Game Seven. You know, a little later in the third period that time. I mean, that was a tremendously exciting goal at the time because it seemed as it was a very tense one nothing game with five minutes left that time when he put it away. And this was, of course, just a regular season game, but it seemed to have a whole lot riding on it. And both teams were certainly giving it all they had. And for McDavid to break through in such a spectacular way, shorthanded, unassisted, all of a sudden there he is on the score sheet again. And I'll talk more about that in a minute, but uh, he's got uh, uh, just a, uh, you know, another thrilling and key goal to help lead Oilers to another victory. All right, let's move on to our bad things. Bruce, why don't you lead it off? What is your bad thing? Okay, well, my bad thing is Connor McDavid. (laughs) (laughs) And one specific play of Connor McDavid, and this came with a minute and 30 to go in the third period, and L.A. was trying to get the puck into Edmonton's zone and pull their goalie at the same time, and I'm pretty sure it was Nurse that corralled the puck just inside the Edmonton line, and he got it to McDavid, and McDavid had the puck with time to do something with it about three to five feet inside his own brew line with L.A. guys already flooding the zone. So the play there, I mean, obviously you want to get it out under control, but mostly you want to get it out. And then they're going to have to reset and bring the guys out and so on. Anyway, he decides to get cute and make a pass back to Cody Cece so Cece can walk it out on the other side. Except for guess what? I think it was Philip Deneau was right there on him. He gets a piece of McDavid's pass, and that was the last instant of control that Edmonton had for the entire rest of the game, which was spent all in Edmonton territory, 90 seconds of it, with all kinds of chaos and and craziness going on. And some of it may well have happened anyway. I mean, L.A., if he dumped it out, L.A. would have come back in, and maybe they would have brought some of that stuff. But that was the moment that it just sort of seemed to fall apart for Edmonton, where where their leader made, and he made a lot of good plays in the third period. I like the way he dumped pucks in. I like the way, you know, he got center and, <coughs> and, and uh, control. But this was a big mistake, and it was a rookie mistake, and you don't expect it from 
non-rookies, and you certainly don't expect it from a superstar of that caliber. But it was a mistake, and uh, it narrowly cost Skinner a shutout. And in the end, I mean, they escaped with the 2 nothing margin intact. But boy, did that ever make the last... I mean, did it ever kick off 90 seconds of chaos that uh, that ended the game? And given I have very few other bad things to choose from in this game, I said to my wife at the time, I said, well, the good thing is at least I have a bad thing to talk about now. Before I did, I wasn't sure what I was going to pick, but now I am. So that's my bad thing. And and mine is similar, Bruce. It is that last stretch um, where the Oilers, they gave up 17 grade A shots, Bruce. Five of them came in those last two minutes. And... Um, it was, it, I'm just, I, I think Jay Woodcroft, he was almost one of my good things because of, I think, you know, he, he came up with the dump and thump strategy um, that uh, helped the orders. When this game got the players to buy into it, they did buy into it. And it's, it, you know, excellent coaching by Jay Woodcroft, who is an excellent coach. Um, but I've complained about this before, and I think there's something to it. I don't, I'm not certain the players you want out at the end of the game on the Edmonton Oilers are, when you're holding a one-goal lead, are McDavid and Dreisaitl and Hyman. These guys are all, uh, obviously, they're the two top attackers in the NHL this year and, you know, someone else who's in the top 25. But they're all kind of offensive first, make a play first, rather than just hack the puck out of your own zone first and cover your own man first and cover off the slot first and block a shot first and hammer someone in the slot first. They just, you know, if they're not, I would rather see, now that now that you have Nick Bukestad, who's fantastic on the penalty kill, who's a six foot six space eater, aircraft carrier, you have Matthias Janmark, who is, I think, the best defensive forward, best defensive winger the Oilers have had in about a decade extremely smart player, very disciplined in his own zone, kills penalties also. You have those two guys. You have Warren Fogle, a big, fast guy who will block shots, also can kill penalties. Um, you have even Derek Ryan, uh, a very, very smart hockey player, hardworking, kills penalties, will sacrifice for the team. You have a whole plethora of players like these on the bench. Use those guys. Put those guys out there in the last minute of the game. And... I think that you're going to get um, better results than five grade A shots in the last two minutes. Yeah. You know, tonight, for sure. It's you know, it is more likely that um, when you, if you have David or Hyman or Kane or Drysaddle, they're going to break out and score a goal. Like um, the uh, we all recall, Josh Archibald was often out there in those situations and often got chances to score and miss the net. So there's that. But I do. I just think it's it would be better for the like the dynamic of the team and better just better in terms of winning if you went with a shutdown group of players in the last minute of each period um, when you're up a goal. I just what do you do you think? You think I'm way off there, Bruce, or do you think I? Got uh, well, I think the you know this you want. You want your best players out there. I mean, that's sort of the that's the sort of the go-to principle. Um, but you you really also want your best players to the task. Now, McDavid has uh, uh, developed into a pretty fine penalty killer, uh, which we saw again tonight. 
Dreisaitl is a, um, uh, when he puts his mind to it, which has been a lot lately, a uh, very strong defensive player. I'm not quite sure I would choose Zach Hyman to be out there in that situation. I, I don't see him as a particularly uh, strong defensive zone uh, player. Uh, anyway, they uh, oftentimes, they're out there, and as you say, they just score, and then, then they spend the rest of the game on the bench while they play out the string. And that's kind of the best possible result. But we saw also in the Arizona game, like three nights ago, there was a play uh, like 10 seconds left in the third period, just out near the blue line. It looked like Arizona had lost possession. And uh, Nugent Hopkins dived for it. Drysaddle dived for it. And McDavid took off forward as if he was expecting the puck to get chipped to him. And Clayton Keller made an absolutely fantastic diving play and pass to beat both the diving Oilers to the puck and pass it to a teammate. And all of a sudden, there was two Oilers left in the play because all three forwards were, were hung out to dry at the top of the defensive zone. The puck was behind him. And it was, I guess K- Keller was down on the ice. So it wasn't quite a six on two. <laughs> but it was a five on two and they, they had a pass through the slot and the guy, you know, a guy had a chance and it was just, you know, offensive instincts in a defensive situation. Let's call it that. And that's not always necessarily the best, uh, uh, the best uh, recipe. Your number, Bruce. Yeah. I'm going to go right back to Connor McDavid since I haven't mentioned him hardly at all tonight. And the number is four times 10. Uh, for five times ten, he now has, uh, with tonight's goal, uh, a ten-game point-scoring streak, which is his fifth of the season, <clears throat> believe it or not. I mean, the season's only 70-some games old, and he's had five streaks of of uh, ten games or longer. And uh, But to me, the really impressive feat is four ten-game-plus uh, scoring streaks in a row. He had a 17-game streak. He got shut out for one game. He came right back with a 15-game streak. He got shut out for one game. He came right back with an 11-game streak. Got shut out for one game. And now he's got a 10-game and counting streak. Four in a row. So he scored in, like, what's that? Uh, 53 of his last 56 games. How's that? And on the season, he's only been shut out seven times all season. So nice. those are you're you're wandering perilously close to Gretzky territory with with those kind of consistent uh, production numbers. Not quite as many five and six point games like the Gretzky used to put up there, but uh, in terms of getting on the score sheet night after night after night, man, it's just uh, been really impressive. And and even the great one, I'm sure he never had five ten game streaks in a season because he was too busy having a fifty game streak. You know. <laughs> Pretty pretty hard to have several long streaks when one 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 or two of them are super long. But anyway, this is a, a phenomenal feat. Like literally shut down for one game and bounced right back into another streak. So literally, I mean, he's in Joe DiMaggio territory, 56 in a row, where he just had the three sort of hitless games in there, but just bringing it, bringing it, bringing it, bringing it on the on the offensive side and. Uh, Scoring a lot of key goals like the one he got tonight. Yeah, I wonder if you did like a era-adjusted point scoring um, calculation where his season, this season, would rank for McDavid all time. Like, 
um, he, he would be challenging, I think, some of Gretzky's uh, uh, seasons. Um, in, that in, some, in some respects, I think I think the you know the, the, if you, if you look at he's leading the scoring race by twenty seven, mm-hmm. twenty eight, uh, I think it's twenty seven, and so he's right there uh, with um, uh, among the, the the leaders for the widest margin of victory ever in the, in the scoring race, uh, except for one man during one specific period of time between 1981-82 and 1986-87. There was a six-season span where Wayne Gretzky won the Art Ross Trophy by, wait for it, 65, 72, 79, 73, 74, and 75 points. Six years in a row, he absolutely dominated the rest of the league by very nearly one point per game above the runner-up for the Hart Ross, Hart Ross Trophy. Hart Ross, yeah. Wow. He got both. <laughs> in all those years, he got the Hart yes. and the Ross. And, I mean, the margins of victory were, were, it was, he was just in another planet in terms of, and so McDavid's, you know, 27 points, awesome as it is, you know, it, it pales in comparison to those years. And there were six of them in a row. And the year before that, in 80-81, when he first sort of broke out, he was tied for the league lead at the midway point, and he wound up winning that one by 29 points. And that was just the second half of that season was a sign of things to come, that this guy is just a league apart from even the top superstars, the Marcel Dion, Mike Bossy, Brian Troche, Guy Lafleur of the world, you know, uh, Peter Stastny, or even his own teammates, Yara Curry and Paul Coffey were, you know, that far behind him. And then it was, uh, so to me, that stands alone as, uh, you know, the complete domination of the league I've ever seen. Only Bobby Orr playing a different position had a, had, had a run of years that was close to as dominant as that. Well, there's one thing we know for sure, Bruce, is that you just made up those numbers because no one oh, could yeah. be that good. No one could be that good. And if they could, no one could remember those six numbers in a row. So. Oh, I sure can. I can tell how many goals and assists <laughs> in each each year, how many points. And uh, if I scratch my head for a minute or two, I could probably name all those runners up, of which there was five different guys and only the great Yari Curry was the runner-up to Gretzky two times. If you scratch your head, it's because you're you're pushing the button on that chip that Elon Musk <laughs> put in there. First, my number is more mundane than the the. Uh, I thought it was Bill well, Gates. But okay. Um, my number is thirty-four to eighteen. I don't think I, I we haven't counted this, but I don't think the orders have led the, the uh, games and hits very often this year. Um, I think usually they're on the. I could be mistaken on this, but I think they're on the other side of it. But this tonight. Uh, this is evidence of their physical domination in this game, and uh, 34 to 18 when it comes to uh, hits thrown in this game. So that was a, just a that was a playoff hockey effort from the Oilers. They're giving it, gearing it up at the right time, and that was exciting to see. Eleven different Oilers with multiple hits in this game, led by Evander Kane's eight, as you pointed out, seven in the first period. Uh, somewhat ironically, Connor McDavid had zero. Uh, but he, because uh, the one, the one big hit that he did have, of course, was a penalty, so not counted as a hit. Well, they don't count those as hits. Oh, no, no, not as a penalty, they don't. It's Nor as hit of the game, they didn't even. I thought they would show that as hit of the game, but 
uh, on the podcast is probably they don't feel they can do that legally. Not so. for a penalty, no. Okay. No, and so it, it's anyway. But he, uh, uh, Dry Saddle had three. Uh, Bouchard, Bouchard had four, and played it. Played a very engaged game, I thought. Bouchard, yeah. Ekholm had a couple. Costin, Nurse, uh, Kulak, uh, Fogel. I mean, these are uh, these are guys that when 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 they hit you, Deharney, uh, you know it. But I thought Nurse was all across the line. Nurse was great in this game. Yeah, he really was. He really was. He just played. That might be one of the best games I've ever seen Darnell Nurse play. So there's an extra good thing. Bruce, I got to head out now to my daughter's at a rock concert. I got to go pick her up. So let's, we got to cut her short here. But uh, uh, thank you for talking tonight. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.